You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, and ushers are coming forward here in the main theater, and they're also coming forward in the live stream theater with Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible this morning, just raise your hand, they would love to lend you that Bible, or if you don't have a Bible at, at home, if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that home with you and, and, and allow God's Word to uh, refresh your life and to give insight and wisdom and and uh, we we're huge on the word of god we love god's word here at hope bible church and in fact it's it's in our name and uh and so we want to be not just knowing the word but we want to be transformed by the word of god and i trust that he will do a good work in each one of us here this morning as we look at his word well we're in the midst of this christmas chaos and you hear all of this it's tis the season tis the season for christmas events and parties and baking we're actually at charlotte's Christmas party for her work last night, a uh, real fun time, a funeral home Christmas party. Yeah, it is. It's, it, 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 was, it, it was pretty deadly. Um, in fact, actually, I was crossing the street. It was raining pretty hard, and I must admit I was trying to jaywalk, and, and, and all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, I almost got hit by a vehicle, and I kind of, I, I crossed the street, and, and the reason I was jaywalking is because my wife did, so why did, you know, I mean, so here I am blaming her, but we were escaping the rain and running quickly, and I thought, you know, I was maybe faster than I would, but also, whoa. And, and, and I said, that, that car came pretty close. And, and uh, I said, wouldn't that be funny, you know, um, man killed on the way to a funeral home Christmas party. I could just see it in the headline. Well, thankfully that didn't happen. But tis the season, Christmas baking and parties, irritating Christmas carols. Like, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. I mean, really, I've heard that a few times already. And I'm like ready to be done with Christmas. And when I hear that, it just makes me ill. Or Dominic the donkey. Or I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. I mean, to me, those are some of the worst. You may have your own worst. Um, Christmas carol or Christmas song list. Tis the season for Christmas decorations. You see all the decorations going up, and some, I mean, some people just do an amazing job, and they post it, and they pin it, and, you know, they go all out just making everything look just right, or maybe you don't quite do that sort of thing. You may be more like these individuals, or maybe you left your husband to do the decorating um, this year. Tis the season for Christmas shopping, and the chaos with that in shopping malls, but this is a make-or-break season for retailers, as uh, if they need to make their money now if they're not going to make it through the rest of the year. They've got to make it now. Black Friday, a little over a week ago, kind of kicked off the official Christmas shopping craziness and, and, and chaos. And I understand that Canadians on Black Friday spent $30 billion. Crazy amount of money that got spent on Black Friday by Canadians alone. That's just a crazy amount. You can check Global News for that one. That's where I got that source from, and so I'm sure they're somewhat accurate. Uh, it's estimated that Canadians in total, from Black Friday to, to New Year's, will, will spend up to $63 billion on travel, on gifts, on food, on alcohol, on parties, just, you know, j- just the whole gamut running around $1,700 a person. You say, well, we don't spend that much money. Well, you start tallying up all the extra little expenses, and then you also average that person who gets the new car for Christmas, you know, and that's, you know, a crazy amount of money, and so that kind of goes into the whole average and everything like that, and so, so, so it's a crazy season for that, and, and, and so we're in the midst of this, and, and yet it's also an exciting season. It can be that. It can also be a difficult season. Next, next week, we're going to talk, today we're talking about Christmas hope. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about Christmas tears. Sometimes Christmas isn't 
the most joyful time in our lives, and we trust that God will meet us in his word next week as we trust him to do that in our, in, uh, through the word of God this week. There's a Christmas song I've, again, heard a number of times this year already, and it sticks out in my mind. There's one line in it, and it goes like this. I hope it's a good one without any fear. That song was written by, in 1963 by John Lennon and Yoko Ono as part of their protest against the Vietnam War. And since then, it's become kind of a Christmas song. And that war eventually did end, but uh, in our world, there hasn't been a lot of peace since then. Yes, Vietnam War is over, but there's many other wars and battles and strife. There's wars and battles and strife in family, in individuals. And, 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 and oftentimes, this isn't a very peaceful time of year. And so we can hope it's a good one, and we can hope that 2020 will be better than perhaps this past year, or maybe this new decade will, will, will be a better decade than the last one, because maybe you look back and say it wasn't very good, and so we hope it's a good one. But where do we find this? Just in having the right gifts and the right parties and the right friends around us and the right experiences? Is that where Christmas hope is found? Is that where ultimate hope is found? No, it's not. Where does real, true, confident hope, where do we find it? And you know the answer, you're in church, and so you're going to say Jesus, you're going to say God, and yet how come so oftentimes we're not experiencing that in our own lives? It's more like peace and uh, lack of peace and unrest and, 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 and a jostling and a fear and, a, and, and we're embattled in, in our lives. Why is it like that? What is happening? And so this morning, we're going to basically kind of look at three passages of Scripture, and in that, we're going to see hope promised, hope fulfilled, hope's power, and then hope proclaimed. And the first thing, hope's, hope promised. And so we're going to see the promise of hope, and we see that in, in, in Isaiah chapter 9, and we see the promise of hope. Hope is promised, and, and it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, one of the theme verses, great verse, this is a great verse to memorize, and especially today, after we take this verse and we squeeze it like a sponge, and we're going to find such amazing, powerful truths. Have your Bibles ready, have your notepad ready, because there are some truths here that will just blow your mind, and just allow God to be God in a greater way in your lives through the word this morning. Verse 6 of Isaiah 9, for unto us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, Isaiah the prophet wrote this, get this, 740 years before this even happened. He prophesied that Messiah would be born, and he prophesied these aspects of Messiah's life and who he would be and what he would do, and with this this verse is just rich with so much messianic truth about the Messiah, about Jesus who would come to this, ver come to this earth. And, and this, is, this verse is part of an entire chapter where it is devoted to the prophetic. It is looking ahead. It's speaking about the promises of God, of true hope that is to come. And we see in here that this hope has come, and yet we also see in this passage that hope that is yet to come. And, and that hope isn't, this hope aspect of hope in these prophecies haven't been fully fulfilled yet. There's still more to come for God's children. This chapter, if you look at verse 1 or verse 2 in Isaiah chapter 9, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You see, things for Isaiah, for the people of Israel at this time, and very much for our world even now, things were rather bleak and rather dark. For Israel as a nation, they... 
already they had been suffering the consequences and were already for many years already rejecting God. And we read about this. If you go back this, this next week and read Isaiah chapter 1 and chapter 2, it kind of sets up aspects of the heart and kind of the <clears throat> angst of what was happening in Isaiah's day and to the Israelite people, God's chosen people, the ones he made a covenant with, and, and yet how they were rejecting him. And in Isaiah chapter 1 and 2, we see that people were still gathering at the temple. They were still sacrificing. They were still sacrificing animals on the altar altar they're doing everything right and they were going through the religious motions but we also see their hearts weren't fully engaged though and 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 isaiah is speaking god's truth and he's saying these people they are honoring me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they're becoming like and indulging in the lifestyle and the practices of the culture around them they have god on on their sabbath and for their ceremonies and check mark kind of their lives you know have these check marks in their life and and yet they were becoming more and more like the culture around them. And with strong words, God sent prophets like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, like Daniel. He sent major prophets. He sent minor prophets. And, and, and what's the difference between a major prophet in the Bible and a minor prophet? It's the length of the book. And, and still the significance of, of each one of those prophets that God sent to warn the people. The prophets would speak for God. And he would speak towards the people. And, and in Isaiah chapter 1 and 2, Isaiah is calling them out and saying, you love your wealth. You love your materialism. And he's saying, stop it. Just stop pretending with the religious ceremonies and the religious show and, and trying to pretend that it's all good between you and God. Stop sacrificing. Stop showing up. God is saying, I can't stand it. It's disgusting to me. And he says, wash yourselves. Stop attending. Stop sacrificing. Go and wash yourself. Cleanse. Repent. Come clean from this sin. Break free from it. Cease to do evil. And he says, and I will make you whole. And I will meet you. I will truly fulfill you. Yet sadly, the people rejected the message. And, and here's the thing. We even see this today in today's world, in the North American church culture in particular, there are stark, stark comparisons to what was going on in Isaiah's day. For Israel then and the body of Christ today, we have lost the sense of the understanding of the respect and the holiness of God. We can simply easily go through religious motions, sing songs, clap our hands, raise our hands, give money, we can serve, and yet have hearts that are far from God, that are more focused on other smaller gods, idols in our life, other infatuations more than the Lord. And we, we live our lives then oftentimes justifying what we can get away with and still hopefully get to heaven. Hopefully we'll make it. But you see, when God's holiness comes in contact with rebellion, it leads to judgment. Let me say that again. This is what we see all throughout Scripture. When God's holiness comes in contact with rebellion, it leads to judgment if people do not repent, if people do not return back to God. And we see that. The theme throughout the Word of God, and especially through the theme of the judges, and, and also then through the prophets, choose to sin, choose to suffer. And Isaiah is calling them out and saying, don't, 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 turn, repent, run back to God. And this is so needed even today because left unrepentive, not turning our hearts back to God's 
but living kind of just however we want and trying to justify it will lead to a life of emptiness and death and, and ultimately distraction, d- destruction. And you just see what's going on in our, especially in our, again, North America, and I know what's happening in other places in the world, in Australia and Europe and that, but here in North America, I read this, I remember hearing some old preacher years ago saying, saying this statement, and never is it becoming more and more true. And, and, and this old preacher, and, and preachers have said since then, and, and some of you have no doubt heard it, that, that if God does not judge North America for our sinfulness and for our waywardness and for all that is happening, that he will have to owe one day Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. He destroyed them, that city, because of the evilness and, and because of the disgusting aspects of sin going on in, those, in that region for those people. And God judged them, and he judged them harshly. And if God does not judge us, and what's happening, and he will, and I believe that will happen through the great tribulation, and some of that could be happening very, very soon. God's judgment upon the nations, that will happen. And yet God in his love and his mercy, he's always, he's always on the move, and, and in the midst of the warning and the doom and the gloom, we see how he appoints prophets who is shedding light, who, who shed light on the truth and point people to a greater future, to a time of peace and happiness, because God ultimately, he is a God of happy endings. He is a God who desires and wants to have a happy ending for every one of his children. Child of God, do you believe that today, that God has a happy ending for you? One day? Do you believe that? Live stream, do you believe that? Hoping to hear a really loud amen over here, but I know the walls are soundproofed and there's you know, some distance between us, but, but, but these people barely show. Do you believe God has a happy ending for you, believer in Christ? Yeah. All right, finally, a little bit of noise. A little, you're al- alive and awake, that's awesome. Our God is a God of happy endings and, and he desires to do a good work. And so Isaiah had been warning of the coming judgment that was upon them, the Assyrian army that was come and take them into captivity, and indeed they did not listen, despite having some great kings who tried to lead well, the hearts of the people were rebellious. But then we get to Isaiah 9, because in the midst of the warning, the prophet tells of a better day. He tells that in the midst of the darkness, a light will shine. That Messiah is coming. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of darkness, on them a light has shone. And then we come to this amazing verse. In verse 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Folks, this is an amazing verse. As I said, it's a sponge with so much truth just held up in it. Let's squeeze it here as we take a look, as we break down this verse and just see the importance and the power that is racked up in here. And, and so we're just going to slowly work through this here this morning, and then we're going to work through a verse in the New Testament in a few moments as well. And, and this is such a great verse of prophecy where God promises hope. Not just at Christmas time, but through our lives and into eternity. God promises a Savior and a Deliverer. And we can say now that Christ has come. That 740 years later, after these words were written, after God spoke to the prophet, this did happen. And what God's word says will happen. If it hasn't already happened, it will one day happen. And so first of all, let's see, for to us, a child is born. Okay, so we know that. And, and this here, though, speaks of the humanity of Christ, that Christ was born of Mary, that he was 
conceived by the Holy Spirit. This speaks of the humanity of Christ. You see, Messiah, he wouldn't come as an angel. He wouldn't come as a fully developed man on a chariot to be savior of the world. No, he had to come as a baby, as a human, so that he could not only experience all that we have experienced here on this earth, tempted in every way that we are tempted, and yet he did not sin. But ultimately, he came as a human to be born so that he could die. In a sense, he was born to die. That was his mission. Our salvation required that he be a human. And so it says this, that to us a child is born. This Messiah would be born of a, of a mother, of a virgin, of a human. To us a son is given. This speaks towards the deity of Christ. You see it here? To us a son is given. That Jesus was fully man, as we just saw, but also fully God. That God gave his son. So a son has been given. God has gifted this world his son. And oftentimes, people from other religions, cults, JWs, folks like them, but sadly, 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 folks coming to a seminary or a church near you. This is happening today, and we have to be so aware of this. The teaching, the understanding, Jesus was just a good man. He, he wasn't divine. He, he, he was a good teacher. He was a good prophet. He was a miracle man because you simply can't deny that. You just can't. Human history, the books of history, secular and biblical, cannot deny the existence of Jesus and, and even the miracles that he performed, documented, biblical history, secular history. But people want to deny his deity, that he wasn't God, his divineness, if that's a word. It is, though, essential to our salvation. You see, a drowning man cannot save another drowning man. So Jesus is human, but he's also divine, a mystery that is too wonderful and too amazing for us to fully comprehend. Yet his sinlessness as deity qualified him to be an adequate substitute for our sins, to be an adequate one on whom the sin of the world would be placed. Messiah Jesus had to be born as a human or he couldn't have died, and he had to be divine in order for our sins to be truly forgiven. This is an essential, essential, the huma humanity of Jesus as well as his deity. Such a wonderful mystery for us. But then it goes on and says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Now, when it comes to biblical prophecy, it can be kind of confusing. Um, and, and, um, and, and at times we don't see or understand things until it fully happens. We have warnings. We, we see it coming. But then when it fully happens, like, oh, that's what he means. Now, there were over 300 Old Testament prophecies that came true to an exact, exact you know, like right down to the date, right down to the location, right down to the event towards the birth of Christ, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, about his life, about his death. 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that he fulfilled completely, totally, 100%. But there are still more to come for his second coming. There are still... I believe it's around 150 prophecies. Maybe there's more than that. I, I, I was going to research that a little further to get a closer number for you, but I don't have that. Maybe one of you will give that to me afterwards. 
But there are many more prophecies about his second coming and about the end times and how the things that have yet to happen. His first coming, he came as a suffering servant and established a spiritual kingdom that by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, we can be a part of. We can be a part of his spiritual kingdom. And, and it says now, but the government will be upon his shoulders. And see, and this confused his disciples and, and others because they thought he was going to be king. He was going to overthrow Caesar. He was going to overthrow all governments, and he was going to reign there in Israel, and he was going to correct everything. But this prophecy, government will be on his shoulders that we see here, is about his second coming, that when he returns and he comes not as the suffering servant, next time he is coming as conquering king. And the government of this world of this universe will be on his shoulders. And I believe this speaks very much of the millennial reign of Christ. And it goes on and it says, and his name shall be called. Now in Hebrew culture, names were a big deal. I mean, names were given great consideration. And so we even see here how the names and, and the characteristics of who Jesus is, we see this descriptive description given to Jesus the Christ. Today we oftentimes name our kids names because of names we like or maybe because of a, a relative or a friend or it's kind of the popular trend or whatever it might be. And, and then you come to Meldon. Um, I mean, that, that's just a weird name, but it is, my, my mom did find it in a baby book somewhere, like in a name book. It means dweller at the mill hill. Not a lot of significance there, I don't think. And, and, and yeah, maybe it is, maybe it's not um, just pounding out the word of God week after week. Maybe you grow into your name. I'm not sure what it is. And, but she, she was a school teacher, didn't, you know, kind of want a different names for her kids and so she went a little weird with us first ones and then kind of normalized towards number five and number six I think she got um, just kind of tired and so she just went with easier names for them um, but but names in Bible times meant significance and there's power behind it and listen to the names that are attributed to Jesus to Messiah and his name shall be called wonderful now there's a guy on TV that calls himself mr. wonderful right uh, some of you may know him, you may enjoy him, you may be irritated by him, but let's face it, he does make the, make the TV show. It would be pretty boring without Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. You know, um, now, truth be known, I've also been called Uncle Wonderful, and uh, I have a niece that a number of years ago, she was visiting here with her family in Kelowna, and I saved her life, pretty much. Um, there was a wasp flying around, and, and she was freaking out majorly, going a little over the top. And, and so I sacrificed myself, and I, I killed that wasp. But in, 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 in that whole you know, episode, I ended up getting stung by it, and you know, so she felt kind of bad. And, and, and from that, just this name, Uncle Wonderful, I think I kind of encouraged it maybe a little bit. And so she still, to this day, refers to me as Uncle Wonderful. But... You know what, whether it's Mr. Wonderful or Uncle Wonderful, there is no one more wonderful than Jesus. He is truly wonderful. This word wonderful is just also just, just dripping with, with meaning. It means extraordinary. It means marvelous. It means admirable. It means supernatural. And isn't that how Jesus handled every situation when he was here on earth? He was wonderful. How he treated people. He treated them rightly and fairly. He called out the sinner because he loved them. But he was wonderful. There was a, meet, a need that he could not meet, that he was unable to because of him being so wonderful. He was wonderful in his life. He was wonderful in his death. He was wonderful in his burial and his resurrection. And today he is more wonderful today than ever before. 
as he has been exalted and one day will be wonderful to all people, whether it's in heaven or in hell, they will see him as wonderful. And some with reluctant tears of regret and others with adoration and worship and tears to follow and to serve him, even to be disciplined by him. As his children, as a loving father at times needs to discipline their child, he's wonderful. We have a constant flow of wonderful in Jesus. Another statement here, counselor, he provides perfect wisdom. His word, his word is the primary counsel that we have as well as his Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us to understand the truth of his word. The Bible is that main instruction that we have and, and, and follow human wisdom and understanding, you're going to live to regret it. Don't you see that in our world today? All of the different things going on in politics and economics. And yet God's word speaks so much to even the things that we face in our world today. Everything that we see, there's truth of God's word. And when you uphold truth of God's word, you'll see results, good results. But when you don't, you see destruction and decay. And his words come with great wisdom. He is the counselor. When we trust and we obey him, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, means to live a life with no regrets. We've been here in Kelowna for nine years, and our first number of years were, were rather hard and rather confusing and rather difficult. And, and even last night, just in sharing a bit of just kind of uh, around the table as we were um, sitting with some of Charlotte's co-workers and their family and and having a conversation, and, and, and one lady was intrigued with our journey here to Kelowna and church planting and what would ever lead you to plant a church. And I said, well, uh, the Lord did, because first of all, I told him years ago I'd never plant in British, never be a pastor in British Columbia. That's just dumb in church planting. Forget that one, too, because that's just really dumb. And, and, and so you better be careful what you tell the Lord of what you won't do. And, and he's like, oh, yeah, I've, I, I'm hearing that, Meldon. We're going to adjust a few things here in life. And and, and yet, it was interesting, as we were talking with this lady, she said, so do you think moving to Kelowna and what you experienced in those first number of years, it was a mistake and you weren't listening to God? And I said, that's a great question, but no, we believe very much that God led us through a hard and a difficult and confusing time. And you know, even as I look back on it now, I wouldn't trade it for the world, for what God had to do in my own heart. What God had to do in the lives of others and, and to see his life now spring forth in the way that he has done this over the last number of years, he's wonderful. His counsel, it's amazing. God's word tells us, though, Isaiah would later on write in Isaiah 55 that his thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And there are times that things are going to happen and they're happening in your life even perhaps right now. And it doesn't make any sense. And it's hard and it's confusing and you're bewildered and you're discouraged and you don't see the big picture. And maybe you won't see the big picture on this side of eternity, but remain faithful, remain steadfast because God is, he has sent Mr. Wonderful, his son to this earth who is also the counselor and he will lead us and he will guide us and give direction and hope. He's also, as you continue on there in verse 6, he's the mighty God. 
We see his mightiness in creation and his miracles here on earth, his control over nature, but ultimately as well over sickness and disease and demons and even seeing death defeated. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. This speaks of his eternality. To offer eternal life, you must be able to have eternal life in and of yourself. And so this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, he is offering eternal life. And then the Prince of Peace, Jesus said, he would declare in John 14, he said, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the peace that this world gives you. And he says, so don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. You see, we oftentimes think, well, if I just had more money, if I just had better health, if I just had stronger relationships, if, if I, I just had more obedient children, then I would have peace. Then I'll have a good chunk of peace in my life. But until I have, until I'm married, until I'm retired, until I'm out of school, then I'll have peace and I'll be... No. He promises to be the Prince of Peace in the midst of it. Without even circumstances changing, he says, I want to give you my peace. Not the peace that this world gives. And so we hear, here we see, first of all, hope promised in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. But then second of all, we see hope fulfilled. Turn in your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And this, of course, is the Christmas story. And, 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 and we see I, just the verses ahead of this. And I trust that this Christmas season, you'll again, you'll read over the accounts of, of, of Christmas, of that first Christmas. And, and, and here in Luke chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, I'm going to read these two verses. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Again, fulfillment of prophecies. And as I told you already, 300 Old Testament prophecies perfectly fulfilled in the life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you see, we make such a big deal about Christmas but it's so much more Christmas is about a little baby in a manger, about angels and shepherds and wise men. It's about his life, his ministry, his teaching, the example that he set, and ultimately his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. I already got a Christmas gift from my wife. Um, she, she, just, she bought this and she says, you so have to have this beforehand because it's all about Christmas. And, and I'm a guy who relatively, I like Christmas. Some guys don't like Christmas. I enjoy Christmas. And, and, and so she bought this, this gift for me. And um, you see what it's made out of? You know what that is? Those are railway spikes. And I just thought the significance of this, and it's been hanging in my office for a week now, and just to remind, it's probably a year-round thing that Jesus was born to die. That's why he came, and, and, and the spikes, that would, the nails that would go through his hands, his feet on the cross, are a reminder of his sacrifice for us, that he was born, not just as a little baby, and we get all excited at, eat, at, at Christmas, and have parties, and sing songs about the baby Jesus, and in a couple weeks on the 22nd, we're going to have the kids up here, and, and they're going to be singing songs about Jesus, looking forward to that, at our family Christmas event next Sunday night again, going to be a special time about the story of Jesus, but he was born, didn't stay a baby, he was born to die, and because of that, promise fulfilled 
because of the, the promise of, of hope that, that we have in, in Isaiah and then here in Luke in the Gospels, we see hope that is then fulfilled. But then thirdly, we see hope's power in Acts 26, 18. Turning your Bibles to Acts 26, we, we're going to work through this verse. I mentioned a few weeks ago we had to return to this verse, verse when we are going through the, the Acts series because this verse is just another power-packed verse in God's word where he declares the hope and the power of Christ, what he promises to do in our lives, in the lives of your neighbors, your family, your friends, your co-workers, and in your life today. What a declaration of hope this is in verse 18. If you remember, just a quick context, Paul was on trial, the trial of his life, um, and, and this trial ended up sending him to Rome to, to, to go and stand trial in Rome. But as he was giving his defense, you just couldn't shut this guy up. He wasn't just simply declaring his innocence. He just thought this is a great opportunity to declare the gospel. And that's how we're going to end today at the end is, is looking and praying, and I trust living out the fact that we want to live our lives this week and this Christmas season in 2020 where we are sharing the hope, declaring, proclaiming Christ what he can do, what he's done in our life. And so Paul is talking about his road to Damascus experience. And then if you have a red-letter Bible, these, this verse will be in red because this is what Jesus spoke to him. This is what Jesus commissioned him. This is what Jesus told him to go and do and to proclaim. This is what happened in Paul's life and will happen to everyone who has repented of their sins and has made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior by faith. And look at this power-packed verse. To open their eyes verse 18, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. Again, just, just power-packed, significant words here that we're just going to quickly look at and I trust that you may underline or take some notes of things that are significant that, uh, that get said here. And, and you see, if, if Christ is your Lord and your Savior, this is what positionally He has done in your life and will continue to keep doing until one day when we see Him face to face. And if you're not a believer in Christ today, if you haven't committed your heart to Jesus Christ, this is what He wants to do in your life. This is how He wants to save you and, and, and to give you Christmas hope that won't be just a December hope, but a hope that will last throughout this life and into the life to come. This is hope's power. This is the power of hope. And the first one is to go from darkness to light. Jesus has come so our eyes would be open, so we would go from darkness to light. Remember Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen the great light. Jesus is the light of the world. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has blinded the eyes, so people cannot see Christ. Romans chapter 1, and, and through the book of Romans, we're reminded that we are sinful. We have all sinned and we have fallen short of God's glory. And there's such a blindness when it comes to truth. I mean, it's so easy to see that. Just watch the news. And people are so blinded, they cannot see truth if it bonked them in the face. 
how we can care more. And I, I care relatively not as much as others about animals. Don't laugh. I do. But again, not like you folks, some of you folks. But we care more about an eagle's egg than we do an unborn baby. Like ludicrous, crazy. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. I mean, we're seeing Romans chapter 1 lived out. Men and women exchanging natural relationships for unnatural relationships. And it's celebrated. I mean, we can go on and on about the blindness towards the truth in God's word. And how God's word gives us the guidelines and, and, and kind of the parameters to live our lives that will lead to joy and to fulfillment and to happiness. And yet we have moved those boundaries far out to include anything and everything. But Jesus has come to bring light to the world. He sheds light on the truth. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, there is an awareness in a greater way. And then as we study and grow in the Word of God, as we come under biblical teaching and, and, and preaching, we have a greater understanding of God's truth and what the world's truth is, and it can be vastly different. But Jesus sheds light on all the big questions, big questions God's word answers on why are we here? Why is there sin? Why is this world so messed up? Why do we die? What happens to us when we die? The problem with evil is dealt throughout the word of God. Jesus has come to give us spiritual insight and understanding into the darkness that is around us and allow us to see the light of the gospel. Next, we see hope's power releases us from Satan's power, Satan's grip, to God's grip. John wrote in 1 John 5, 19, he says, The world is under the control of Satan at this time, for this season. But Jesus delivered, conquered the power of demons and sickness. All throughout history, we see people who have been delivered from oppression and possession, control of the evil one. And the power of the gospel, Christmas hope, releases us from Satan's grip to God's grip in his hand. Jesus crushed the devil's authority on the cross and rose victorious, conquering sin and death and evil. Today, we don't need to, to, to fear the devil. Don't be afraid of the devil unless you're living for him. Then you watch out because you're just, you're just a number to him. But we don't need to fear the devil because greater is he than it, that is in than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We don't have to fear because our God is greater. He has crushed the power of Satan. He has released us from Satan's power and control over our lives. And then next we see the forgiveness of sins. We see hope's power in the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this earth and he died, paying the price and the penalty for our sins. To all who repent and believe in him by faith, believing in the work of the cross for him to be that complete and satisfying payment for our sins. He then, it says, he removes our sins from us. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west. And when you think about that, that's a long ways. That just keeps going and going. So far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our sins, our transgressions from us. He takes away shame 
He takes away guilt. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. The sins of your past, the guilt, even those at times, the, the voices in your head, the arrows of the enemy, or the words of others that want to remind you of your past, you remind them and you remind yourself of the truth that Christ has set you free. He has forgiven you. And when Satan comes to hound you about your past, you just remind him about his future, that he is, will one day be fully and totally defeated. We saw a demonstration of that at the cross where Jesus crushed his head. He will be one day destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire forever. You know, I read this past week that a medical doctor said that if, if there was a cure, a pill, a process for people to be relieved of their guilt, he said men's, mental institution and psych wards would empty by half. You know, I believe there's something to that. We are so hounded by the past. Perhaps even in this room or in the live stream room, your mind, your thinking, your day is dominated by sin and guilt from the past. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. You've been set free. No condemnation. Jesus came into human history to free us from sin, to forgive us, set us free from sin and guilt. But then we also see hope's power means the promise of heaven. It says this last part, in this verse, it says, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The moment a child of God takes their last breath here on this earth, there will be a home of unimaginable joy and comfort and security for eternity. A split second. You won't even die. Your body conks out. It's done. It's over. They do whatever they're going to do with it but you will be more alive and more aware and worshiping Jesus and exploring the greatness and the glory of heaven for all eternity. Minds can't even comprehend it. Pretty much need to disregard all the books and movies and stuff that depict heaven because they can't get it right because there's no way to properly explain heaven. Words are too glorious. And we, we have biblical understanding of that, 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 that just, we can't even fathom how awesome, how great it's going to be. And the glory of heaven. Jesus, the true hope of Christmas, the true and living hope for life and for death. First Peter 1, 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not just at Christmas, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That does not describe any of your bodies. It doesn't describe any of your houses or your cars or any of your possessions. But it will describe who we are and what we will inherit. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's just waiting in heaven. Jesus, the true hope of Christmas. He alone addresses the void, the emptiness, the loneliness, the confusion that you have in your heart that we see in this world. Oh, there, 
We may be living for the moment. We may be living for success, for money, for laughter, for good times, for advancements. But if Christ is not at the center, if Jesus is not at the daily hope of our lives, you will come out on the top, maybe happy for seasons, but in the end, it will collapse. Because, and we will all be a product, a reflection of what we have been building into our lives, built on the hope of Jesus. And how does this happen? At the end of verse 18, Jesus said, by faith in me. Is your faith in, and your confidence in Jesus Christ today? Have you repented and turned your life over to him by faith? Do that today if you haven't, and Jesus will be more than your Christmas hope. He will be your life hope. Or perhaps you've made a commitment to Christ but your eyes, your heart would be described like Isaiah was describing the Israelite people. You're far from God. You've settled for lesser things. You honor him with your lips and your mouths, but your hearts are far from him. Return, repent, call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you, and he will. Return to the hope of Christmas, the hope for the world, the hope for you and for me is Jesus. And finally, what do we do with this hope? We proclaim this hope. We've been given the great commission. Paul Proclaim Jesus. It is our commission and our mission to make much of Jesus. We're so good at making much of ourselves, but we're to make much of Jesus. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Declare Christ. Declare this hope to the nations. He is the best and the greatest answer for our economy, for politics, for our family struggles, for the issues we're facing. It is Jesus. Yet so oftentimes we remain tight-lipped and afraid, not wanting others to defend them or find out that we're a believer. We don't want to make people feel awkward. We're such good Canadians at times. But we need to declare Christ. I love the way Christ was declared in the Saskatchewan legislature this past week. Take a look at this. Mr. Speaker, I'm glad uh, to stand today to wish you and my legislative colleagues on both sides of the floor a Merry Christmas. It's hard to believe I've made 20 years of service, Mr. Speaker, and over those years I've grown to love these halls and the good work that goes on in this place. In such a grand building, dressed in our suits and ties, it's good to have a reminder each year that Jesus was born in a stable on the backside of an inn. He wasn't impressed with pomp or position and was born to a humble young lady. Today, Mr. Speaker, Christmas may have filled up with all sorts of busyness, distractions, and baubles, but when you pull off the wrapper, Jesus is still the reason for the season. A year ago, I was lying in a hospital bed, being treated for cancer, uh, Mr. Speaker, wondering uh, what the future might hold for me. Now, I'm not sure why God gave an undeserving old cowboy like me a second chance, but I'm uh, very thankful he did, and I'm going to make the best of it. God gave me so much more than just extra time, Mr. Speaker. This season, I'm reminded that he gave his son for me and for you. I figured after all he's done for me, at least I could do is give myself to him. <clears throat> Turns out some changes are in, order, are in order, Mr. Speaker. As we say around here, a lot has been done, but there's more work to do. So this Christmas season, I want to thank God for Jesus and wish the very best in 2020 for you all, uh, your families, and the people of this great province. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Now that is hope proclaimed, isn't it? Hope proclaimed, took advantage of an opportunity that he was given to speak of Jesus and declare Jesus 
is hope in his life and hope for those around us. I told you about my nephew a few weeks ago who took a stand for, for truth and to share the gospel in his schoolroom and was uh, treated poorly by his teacher. He showed this video in school and he's in trouble again. One of the teachers is very upset with him for sharing something like that. Are we willing to pay the price to get in trouble if necessary? To make others uncomfortable, but to share the truth of the gospel in love, not being a jerk, but taking advantage, just like this MLA did, just like my nephew did in sharing the gospel. Who will you invite over the coming weeks into your life, into to our church? We have empty seats, we have room available, and we'll keep making more and more room. Lord and God, I pray that we would live this hope, we would worship this hope this Christmas season, this hope of Jesus, a confident hope, not a finger, fingers crossed hope that we hope it will all work out in the end with you. It's a confidence that we can have because of who Jesus is, what was promised years and years ago and is now a reality. And will one day we will see him face to face. God, I pray that we would proclaim you, your son, this Christmas season. We would see many people trust you as their Lord and their Savior and come to know this living hope personally. Would you use us? Would you use this church? Would you use us in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, at our upcoming events to share and to live out this hope that we have in Jesus Christ? And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.